We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. So, Brian, this next group of guys, uh, we're focused more on the veterans. And and these veterans, we've kind of we've kind of come up with a list of guys um, to where, you know, these guys need to step up to make Notre Dame that next level. Right. I mean, these are the guys that they have the opportunity uh, to really step up. Uh, There's some that we've got penciled in as starters, Mm -hmm. you know, and they can take their game to another level. And if they do, Notre Dame is really going to benefit. Right. Uh, from them stepping up, right? I mean, this is going to be yeah. fun. And it's it's guys, some of them are guys that have played a lot or started that didn't play well. Yeah. Uh, some of them are rotation guys that, you know, are going to now be starters that you hope that they can jump their game to the next level. And, and the theme behind it all is these are veterans that could be the difference between Notre Dame being good or Notre Dame being great. And yes. that's the impact some of these guys can have. And, and they're not going to be the only keys to that, but they are they are part of very yeah. important parts of uh, of that. So, yeah, the and we've seen this a lot. We've seen these veterans that that were, you know, Osmar Bilal is an example of former starter that just didn't play that great, that busted out and played great. Then there's the veterans like guys that didn't play a whole lot, like a Miles Boykin. I think Miles Boykin had like 18 career catches in his first three years, and all right. of a sudden he's a beast as a senior. We saw right. that with Jonas Gray. Right. Jonas Gray did hardly nothing his first three years, comes out as a senior and, and balls out till he got hurt. Right. Ben Koyak has like 11 career, 15 career catches and then doubles that his senior year. So those are even even on a different scale, like like Sheldon Day was a good player for three years, but he had like, you know, nine and a half tackles for loss, a few sacks. And then as a senior, he went from a good player to a great player. Right. 
So those are the kind of guys we're talking about, and they happen every year, Vince, to the best teams. And Notre Dame has had a, had guys like that have really stepped up in past years. Now it's time to see this next batch of guys kind of step up. And and if they don't, then it's going to hurt Notre Dame, or they'll find themselves passed up. Some of them, others will still be starters. But it's like, yeah, they're going to be good, but it, the unit's not as good. So it's a nice mix and blend. We went two on offense and two on defense. But this is the one that to me. This is the group that could end up being the make or break group for Notre Dame. You know, between again, 10 and 2, or let's go beat Bama, let's go beat Clemson, let's go beat, uh, you know, let's go beat Ohio State. Well, I'm going to lead this one off and I'm going to start on the defensive side of the ball. And I believe we have the same guy here. And if you listen to, mm-hmm. Our our spring preview positionally uh, of the safeties that we put out earlier this week, um, we, we talked a lot about Houston Griffith, and I I would be rem- <coughs> excuse me I would be remiss if I didn't bring him up in this particular category because this is like the Houston Griffith category for me. <laughs> I mean, right? And, and we talked about why he's so important that he's kind of the key to unlocking not only his own potential but uh, what Kyle Hamilton can be. You know, I mean, you have the second safety has to be a, a, a great compliment in mm-hmm. order for a guy like Kyle Hamilton to really ascend to where he can ball out and be his be who he can be, right? right. Um, and, and he really needs to come into his own. I think there's a ton of talent there. Uh, I think he's a smart kid. Um, I, I, I really feel good about what he is going to bring to the table um, as far as from a leadership standpoint, from a play on the field standpoint, I'm excited about Houston Griffith and I'm mm-hmm. not afraid to say it. Um, but I think he falls right into this category. Yeah. If he doesn't step up, that safety position is not going to be as yeah. effective as it could be. And, and it could be really non-effective, even though the best player on the team right. is in that position. You know, well, you need Houston Griffith to step up. Hundred percent, and and if, for those who didn't listen to the the safety podcast, first of all, I would encourage you to go listen to it Absolutely. after you listen to this. But the thing we talked about, as far as how he impacts Kyle Hamilton, is is Kyle Hamilton going to have to spend his time protecting the second safety, or exactly. maybe you can't utilize him the way that you want to because you don't have a safety that can that can protect him. And what I mean by protect him is if you're going to bring Kyle Hamilton on a blitz or something like that, or you're going to bring him down in the box to use him as a weapon, well, if the team runs away from him or throws it behind him or, or, you know, maybe they have a good play call and you don't have safeties behind him that can make plays. And that's just, you, you're going to get burned. And then that means you can't use him that way anymore. Right. So that's what we're talking about is, is Houston Griffith stepping up and playing to his potential, which we believe is not just as a starter, but an Correct. impact starter. Yes. Allows them to say, Hey, look, Houston's a baller, right? So he can play boundary, which is where I think he's going to start. And Kyle Hamilton will be to the field. He can play boundary, but he can play center field. He can play to the field. Yep. You know, we can bring him down in the alley. And they're going to move him around. I mean, I I, I really feel like they're going to move both sides. You can't if Houston doesn't step up and ball. Absolutely. Then you got to stick him into the boundary and Kyle has to protect him the whole time, which is what we saw at times this year with Notre Dame. And when they didn't protect him, the other safety got in trouble. Yeah, and the corner against good teams against yeah, good teams. Yeah, yeah and right. the the corners got in trouble, and, sure. and that's just something that we saw this year. You know, I'm doing some research for a story, uh, an article that I'm going to put out where you know, I'm just going through some data, and you know, Notre Dame's pass defense, for example, has been really, really special the last two years. Well, this past season, the pass defense gave up 7.1 yards per play, which is 
almost a yard and a half uh, more than what they gave up a year ago and, and almost two whole yards more than what they gave up two years ago. And it's all, it's all half a yard more than what any national champion has given up on defense since the really going back all the way to Florida State in 2013. That's when I stopped my research. So, you know, you gave up too many big plays with a, a, a tremendous talent like Kyle Hamilton back there. And it's because the other positions didn't hold their own. And that limited what you could do with Kyle Hamilton. So that's what it means. And then also, if he doesn't step up and DJ Brown's in the starting lineup, now he's a guy that can can be more exposed more. Whereas if Houston steps up and impacts DJ Brown, now DJ Brown could be your number three. He can be a rotation player. So that's what we mean by Houston Griffith could have a huge impact, not just in that spe- his specific position, the how he impact, impacts yeah. everybody around him. So that's no, super no important. Question. And that's why, I mean, he was a no-brainer number one. We both had him marked down as yep. number one because he's that kind of guy that has the talent. And, and again, it's he's going to have to play better than we've ever seen him play with any mm-hmm. consistency. We've seen some flashes, but it's not like we're asking him to play out of his talent level. And that's why I don't put a D.J. Brown in this category because asking D.J. Brown to be that kind of player, in my opinion, is unfair. It's not fair. Absolutely. Because you're asking him to do something that I don't think he's capable of doing, which is what I thought they did too many times with Sean Crawford last year. They put him in situations that he that a, yeah. were unfair to him I because agree. Yeah. why are you asking him to go cover Amari Rogers? <laughs> right. That's that's, that's, not, that's not, not a knock on Sean. You're he's gonna do right. it. You ask Sean Crawford, hey Sean, I want you to play nose guard. And he'll he'll do it because that's yes. just the kind of kid he is. Yep. You just have to be smart enough not to put him in that kind of position. Right. And I think last, but I think they were also somewhat limited because they were there were issues at corner, there were issues at the buck linebacker, there were there were several issues on that defense that need to get fixed and and those will be addressed some of those will be addressed during the rest of this this breakdown so i want you to go with your number two because we have different number twos yeah Uh, so i gave number one you go number two defense we're gonna stay on defense and my break my veteran that i think is important to this defense is jason adam yola now his his context is completely different than than houston's and some of the other guys the the guy that you're going to talk about on defense in that Jason's been a really good player for Notre Dame. He's just been a really good player as a rotation guy. Right. You know, he's been a 15 to 25 snap per game guy, and, and he's been very productive when he's gotten those opportunities. Now it's the time for him to, number one, get the opportunity to play more. And right. then when he's in there, he's got to take advantage of that opportunity. The disappointing thing for me with him the last two years is it seemed like late in the year, both years, when he was close to kind of, okay, it looks like they're starting to play him more and he's got a chance to be an impact guy more, he got hurt. Yeah, I think it was Navy in yeah. 2019, and then last year he misses a couple games. I think he got hurt in the North Carolina game. It's somewhere around there uh, in November, and then he missed a couple games. Didn't miss a ton. He came back and he was awesome against Alabama. He was yeah. to me their best defensive lineman against Alabama. Um, and so when I look at him, he's a guy that to me, if he can do in 40 snaps or 35 to 45 snaps, right. he's been doing the 15 to 25 snaps. Yeah. That's going to be big gonna time. Be something else. Yeah. He's got to be able to put the two things together. So 19 and 20, he was used mostly on base downs and he was a really good run defender. Last year, he was used primarily as a pass rusher and he was a really good pass rusher. He was there. You know, if you look at all the metrics that pro football focus uses, he was their best interior pass rusher from a, you know, hurries per snap, you know, pass rush rate and all those kind of things. Now it's like, okay, well, now he's got to be, be both of those. He's got to be an early down run stopper. He's got to be a pass rusher. He's got to do all those things. And I think the Marcus Freeman defense is built for a guy like Jason Adamiola, which is an attacking, aggressive, shoot gaps, get penetration. It's not two gapping. It's not read and reacting. It's not slow flow. 
it's get after it. it you're the first line of defense. You know, you're the first that. wave I of attack. I love that. And if he uses the defensive line like he did at Notre Dame, like he did at Cincinnati, I think Jason Adamiola is a guy who could benefit from that. And earlier we were talking about Riley Mills, who plays the same position, being a right. a up and comer. And that's the exciting thing for me is it's in context. It's looking at those two guys together and saying if Jason Adamiola is playing forty to forty five snaps a game or 35 to 45 snaps a game, depending on how many the other team plays. And if you have a blowout, hopefully he'll play less snaps. Uh, And then you've got, you know, Riley Mills playing 20 to 25 snaps a game. Those two guys together could be dominant. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I truly believe that if they both kind of do what I think they're capable of this year, there's no reason they can't combine to have 15 to 20 tackles for loss this year and and five to eight sacks from that three technique. And, And they can also both, they're both also athletic enough and rangy enough and good enough pass rushers that in the three down, they can both play end. Yeah. So you can go with a big end combination of either those two or, it, you know, with Myron Tungavalo in the middle, if you really want to get after the passer, or you can have Kurt Heinish at nose and then one of those two guys with Tungavalo at the other. All types of different Lots combinations of options, you can yeah. do. But so they can both rush as five techniques, in my opinion. And, and that's why I feel like this move to this defense, and it's not that they weren't good in the previous defense, but it's look, sure. anytime you make a position or a, a, a coaching change, there's some guys are going to benefit more than the others. It's just the way that it is. It is. Yeah. And so it's not one's not better or worse. It's just, it's just how it works. So that's, that's the guy I'm excited about, uh, Vince, because I think he could be a, he could be a, a, a high productive difference maker in this defense. And it's a defense that I don't know outside of Isaiah Foskey has a lot of impact production type of talent. You know, Kurt Heinish made a huge jump last year, had seven and a half tackles for loss, but that's kind of where he is, you know, that yeah. seven to eight yeah. tackles for loss thing, which is fine. And that's really good for a From no a one technique. Yeah, absolutely. I think Jerry Tillery had nine as a junior in one more game. Yeah. So that's good production. That's great. It's just, he's not going to go out there and be Sheldon Day. That's just, you know, and, and not who he is. Myron Tungvaloa is not going to be a 15 tackle for loss guy like Romeo Aguara was his last year. He's like 13. <clears throat> so a guy like, to me, Jason Adamiola in Riley Mills as a tandem can be that that on-the-ball difference makers. Right. And what I mean by on-the-ball is they're the ones actually making plays on the ball, not them penetrating and forcing a cutbacks that the linebackers have to clean right. up. They're actually the ones getting to the ball carrier or the quarterback first. So my number two, and we're staying on the defensive side, and it, it, it falls under a completely different category than, than Myron Tagovailoa. Amosa, or I'm, it, it's a completely different situation, right? So I am going to go with Shane Simon. And mm-hmm. look, Shane Simon's a returning starter. And I think people forget that he's still on the football team. I, he is, uh, he's a forgotten guy. We banged on him, rightfully so, from a football production standpoint, right? And, and the fact that his production was not good. It just, it just wasn't good. And when you put it in comparison to the other years and the other guy, it just, it's just not good. And mm-hmm. that's the bottom line. And we're not banging on the kid. We're banging on the production. And he has the ability. Mm-hmm. He's athletic as all get out. And I think that, you know, you, you talk about when a coach kind of falls in love with a player um, for his attributes and, and things of that nature. And that's okay. I get that. And I get why Clark Lee was probably excited about Shane Simon. The problem was he was blinded on game day because mm-hmm. the production just wasn't there. Right. I think he he stands a chance here with the new voice, like you mentioned, 
You got a new system. You got a new linebacker coach. Is this an op or this is an opportunity mm-hmm. for Shane Simon to kind of flush everything that happened last year, but use it right. because he was a starter. He's got that experience to lean right. on. You can use that experience, um, but kind of flush the negative and kind of start fresh with, with a new position coach and a new philosophy and, and all this new stuff. Um, and, and this is an opportunity for him to really step up and be somebody that this team can count on. Uh, because if the production is similar to what it was last year, I just don't see him sticking around on the field as long as he did. I, I, yeah. I just don't. And that's and so, why the spring is so important for him, Vince. That's exactly it, it's right. so important. And, and that's what we're talking about here. It's, it's, if, if he doesn't step up this spring, if he, if he plays the way he did last year, then he needs to get passed up quick. And he's going to get forgotten. And, yeah. and well, he needs to be not forgotten, I, but he needs to be passed up. But there you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, as far as a depth. Chart yes. Is concerned. Yes. He needs to get passed up quickly. However, as you said, the, the, the enticing thing is that the tools are there Absolutely. and he is a really intelligent kid. I think sometimes maybe that was his problem. He's a little too intelligent, you know, too thoughtful. Yeah, and sometimes you just, hey, man, just go, buddy. Just go. Analysis by paralysis. You know? Paralysis right. by analysis. Right. Yeah, right. And you're just always thinking. Just, just go, man. Just let her rip. Just go. Trust, yeah. trust the coaching. Trust yourself. Trust your teammates. And just, right. it, just, I say, hey, the, this play is called for you to explode through the B gap. Explode through the B gap. Trust us. Just do it. Go make a play. Right. Because uh, if not, you've got Maris Lufau. You've got yeah. Jack Kaiser. You've yeah. got Osita Ekwanu. You've got JD Bertrand. You got some talented guys that want that playing are, time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and they're and, looking at this as a new. Uh, opportunity for them too right you right know, they're all looking at this the same way so right. yeah there's guys there yeah it's huge spring for it's just huge spring for him yeah absolutely so our number three guy i believe we have the same yeah our uh, first guy on offense is yeah the same. so we're gonna jump over to the offensive side um and and we all, all of our podcasts run together for me but we talked about the we talked about <laughs> this guy with our offensive line podcast earlier this week and, and it's josh lug mm-hmm. and, and josh lug um, everybody knows who Josh Lug is at this point. He he has been for the last two years uh, the sixth man of this offensive line. He's been he's, their Swiss Army knife, man. Yeah, absolutely. He's started he's three, He started at, tackle, tackle, guard, and guard, center, and center. Absolutely, and performed admirably. Um, you know, at those positions, he has a couple of rough snaps. Obviously, as a center, that's not his position. Well, okay. to me, I look at that as the same as we talked about earlier. Like, you know, you yeah. can't fault Josh Lug for right not being good at something he never should have been asked to do in the first Completely place. Completely agree. Completely agree. But yeah, when th- you look was... at his five starts in 2019 at right tackle, he was pretty good. Absolutely. I mean, and, he he yeah. he was really good. In fact, yeah. so. Yeah, the the thing with Josh Lug is this is another one that's not a if he doesn't step up this spring he's going to get benched kind of guy. No, I think he's a starter. Yeah, he's a starter. I think where he's important, vitally important, is if Josh Lug doesn't step up and be a dude. Mm -hmm. And I think he's capable of being a dude. I think he's capable, Vince, in my opinion, of being, you know, in a conversation where you're at the end of the year, like, wow, I don't, I don't know if Jarrett Patterson definitely was their best offensive lineman. Lug kid was pretty good. I think Josh Lug has that kind of talent. He's six seven. He's three hundred ten pounds. He's got long arms. He's a tough kid. He's strong. Uh, he he's got an impressive motor. He's yeah. he's a he's young. Here's the thing about you understand about Josh Lug. Josh Lug was a year younger than most kids in his grade. So I think early in his career there were some maturity issues sure. that kept him from. And, and I don't mean bad things. Just just you grow up being young. Yeah, absolutely, physically and, I, and mentally. He, yeah, and he started to do that this past year, I believe, and from what I'm told. And and now it's this chance to say, hey, Josh, man, now's your time. Liam's gone. Robert's gone. Tommy's gone. Aaron's gone. 
now's your time to shine. And not only do we need you to just step in and, and, and say, Hey, I'm a starter, but Hey, it's your time to dominate. Yes. And I think he's got the tools to be a really, really good college player. I think the questions about him is he a tackler or guard, which I don't think is going to be necessarily determined right now. I I expect him to start a tackle as we talked about in that show, but wherever they put him, he needs to play well because well, and, and I think when we talked about this as well, I, I think that the important thing for Josh Lug is and I don't know if this is going to happen, but this is what I would like to happen. Right. Um, as an outsider looking in for them to decide whether he's a guard or whether he's a tackle going into spring and mm-hmm. he just focuses on that one position. Right. That, I'd like that too. Yeah, I, I I don't know that that's possible with with the with the Jarrett Patterson situation right. and things of like that. I get it, but if he can just focus on one position, especially mm-hmm. all spring, and then going into the fall, I think he could be really good. Yeah, I think I he could be whether that's guard or tackle. Yeah, okay. I, I think I personally would like to see him at guard. I think that's it's what, it's what we discussed. Um, I think it was yesterday in our in our. Uh, our mailbag, yeah. Our ice breakdown mailbag, the Q and A we had, the live Q and A we had. People asking district guard and tackle, and we talked about temperament. Sure. I think the reason I think Josh Lug could be a better guard is temperament. But yeah. I'll tell you what, my opinion changed on that a little bit when I watched him play right tackle at the end of the 2019 season. Sure. Now again, they didn't play anybody worth a darn in those five games, but they played some decent edge rushers. You yeah. know, he he started at right tackle against Duke. And they had Chris Rumpf and Victor DiMichigi, who are two of the better pass rushers they played all year, and he played really well. So uh, I kind of changed my view on that. Okay. I always felt Fair his enough. temperament was better there. And I still think that's probably the position where he's best suited. But he's pretty long for a guard. Yeah. And and the fact is, is he played with good control and played good at tackle. Maybe he's just more, even though his temperament may be suited, maybe he's just more comfortable at tackle. Sure. And if that's the case, great. That's I, I fine. Just, to I, your I, point, find a home for him and let him play there. My yeah. hope is, is that by the end of spring, at the very least, by the end of spring, they know for sure where he's going to yeah. play in the fall. And right. then that way he can say, okay, Josh, here's the deal. We know you can play tackle now, and so now we want you to really focus though on guard. And when we yes. get to fall camp, we'll be guard. That's yep. you know, it, it, it very least do that. I hope that they don't. They're not still thinking where where Josh is going to play once we get to August. Right. Yeah, because I think he is someone who needs to to finally get settled into a home. And for the love of all things holy, find someone else to be your emergency center. Well, and that and that's and that's the thing. Because like, that's unfair to him. I mean, you're just. <sighs> I, I get the fact that he was the, the first man in, you know, at whatever position. His talent basically. and the I get confidence it. they have in him is yeah. why they threw him out there. That's a positive. It's a huge positive. But it's just but it's it a should. different mentality when you're a starter. It just yes. is. I and, mean, and not only that, but snapping as a six seven guy with long arms is. Uh, it's like people people talk about. Well, you don't want a real tall center. Well, I don't think that matters, especially in a shotgun offense. It's not so much the tall part. It's usually six seven guys have long arms, and snapping. For a six seven guy is a much I mean, it's physics yeah right? right it's a much longer motion and then means it's a much longer motion to get your hand back to block right right there's physics re- you know physics involved in this conversation that's why they You're like sh- smart on me now. as a small as a shorter arm center you can snap and get those arms back real sure. quick yeah right and and so there are benefits to that and Josh just doesn't fit that if they find a home for him at guard or tackle I really think Josh Lug could be a big time breakout yep, player I agree uh, will he be as good as Liam Eikenberg was last year I'm not saying that Liam Eikenberg in my opinion was the best tackle in college football last year 
I, but I don't think he has to be that. I just think he has to be really good. Sure. Yeah. And if he can yeah. be really good, and Jarrett Patterson's going to be really good, and Andrew Kostafa <clears throat> can be really good, and Zeke Carell can be really good. Now, all of a sudden, you're looking at it where this is still a pretty darn good offensive line. Sure. It's not as good as the one that had 795 career combined starts, but it's really good. And they're going to make more mistakes than last year's line, but they're also going to have their fair share of dominance because right. it's a really talented group. But if Josh Lug doesn't get to his full potential, then it's it's it, I'm going to have a lot less confidence in that happening. Right. And that's why, you know, as I talk about breakouts, the the Christophic is my young breakout. Lug is my veteran breakout. If those two guys both hit home runs and Zeke Carell just has the natural progression from what we saw last year, I'm feeling a lot better yeah. about the Notre Dame offensive line than I did maybe a month ago. Yeah, absolutely. So our fourth and final spot, uh, we have a difference of opinion, Mr. Driscoll. Big difference of opinion. <clears throat> and so I'm going to let you lead off here, and then I will bring up uh, bring up the rear. <clears throat> to me, it's Braden Lindsay. I mean, it's 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 clearly Braden Lindsay. You look, he teased us, and I wrote about this at, at IrishBreakdown.com. He teased us in 2019. <clears throat> And I'm I'm actually going to pull the article up now because I, I want to get this correct. Because remember, he didn't really step into the lineup until like midway through the year. But Braden Lindsay in 2019 had 20 touches, right? So he had 10 carries and 10 catches. So just in 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 what was it 13 games, work, he had man. just 20 touches. Yeah. In those 20 touches, he had gains of 70, 61, 52, 51. 43 and 24 yards so even if you just take the first five so what's what's four out of 20 vince that's 20 percent, right it is 20 percent of his touches went for at least 43 yards that's like not, that's that not that's not those are video game you, you talk about game changing speed <laughs> yeah, and, and, right. and here's the thing i liked about it it was all in different ways right he had he had a and he had what we he had the 52 yard post route against new mexico pass he caught from from phil Dracovic. The 70-yard touchdown was a post route from Ian Book, so two different post routes from two different quarterbacks against Navy. The 61-yarder was a jet sweep against Boston College. The 52-yarder was the was the post the aforementioned post route from Dracovic. The 51-yarder was a reverse against USC where he outran the USC defense. The entire and defense. a guy had an angle on him behind yes. the line. He had to yes. bubble out and yes. then still outran the defense, which was awesome. And his 43-yarder was a drag route against Stanford, and then he also. We, we forget this, and I didn't mention this one in my breakdown either. He had a 20-some yard touchdown against, and, and against New Mexico. No, no, no. The game against New Mexico oh, where okay. he caught that little look pet screen from Brent from Brendan Clark, oh, made right. some dudes miss, and then ran into the yeah. end zone. Yeah, yeah, so he yeah, showed yeah. that he can stretch. He can make plays jets. He can make plays in screens. He can stretch the field. He is a game changer. And, and it's just one of those things where, Vince, he is exactly what Brian Kelly said this offense has been lacking. In, yes. in 2020, it was understandable. I'm not. This is not a shot at Coach Kelly, because in 2020 you didn't have Brent, Braden Lindsay. He's hurt. He was hurt. He's it was hurt. the it was the hamstring, and then he came back and he got hurt again. Yeah, and he was never. And when he was on the field, he just was not the same guy. That right. We saw I, I agree. I agree. So I don't. I'm not. That's not a knock on <laughs> Coach Kelly. It's a hey, you didn't have the guy that your most veteran explosive playmaker was hurt all year. All right. So so we'll give you a pass on that one. Well, now it's time for Braden Lindsay to, to be healthy, stay healthy, sure. stay focused and and be hungry. Yeah. And go out and be the guy that that we've always felt he could be. But he just hasn't been healthy enough to prove that he could be that guy. He had seven touches for like or 10 touches for 71 yards this year. 
he went from 20 touches for, I think, about 600-some yards, something like that, to to 10 touches for 71 in 2020. Right, right. That's a, a huge difference. A and I'm different. not blaming the Notre Dame coaches, Vince, because it was obvious coming into fall <laughs> camp that they had every intention of making Braden Lindsay a big part of the offense. Right. I mean, they, they absolutely. I mean, the, you know, he had, you know, it was sorry, it was, uh, it was, he had 24 touches the year before. Excuse me, 24 touches, and he had those plays, and he had 454 yards on only 20 touches. I mean, that's 19.4 yards per play. That's the kind right. of explosiveness that you want, right? And you know, 15.4 yards per carry on 13 rushes. And he averaged 23.1 yards per catch on 11 catches. You know, that's big time. And that's the kind of thing where you have a guy like that in your offense with Kyron Williams at running back, and teams are trying to put nine in the box to stop Kyron Williams and Michael Mayer. And all of a sudden, you got to deal with a healthy Braden Lindsay. Sure. And and the thing about it is, he doesn't have to play 60. We've said this before. He doesn't have to play 65 snaps a game, Vince. He just has to play 30 to 40. Yep. And when he's in the game, you better darn well make sure you're getting him at least four or five touches a game. Absolutely. If Braden Lindsay's healthy, every game he's healthy and at full speed, and you don't get him at least four or five touches, that's on you as a coach. That's on the staff. coaching staff. Because Absolutely. it's not about route running. What did I jet sweeps, screens? I mean, there's all reverses. Two of his two, you know, three of his touchdowns the year before, he had four touchdowns the year before. One was on a post route, uh, just a straight run by you post route. One was on a screen where he caught the ball behind the line. You don't have to be a great route runner to do that. Nope. One was on a reverse, and one was on a jet sweep. Right. Pretty right? easy stuff. Yeah. And that's football 101 right there. Yeah. So, but he's got to be healthy first. I'm not, that's not a knock on Tommy Reese because you can't, you can't game plan for a guy that A, is unhealthy. And then B, you don't know if he's going to be healthy from week to week. You invest all sure. this time into, prepping to, to have the offense be built around Braden Lindsay, and then all of a sudden he's out for a month? You can't do that. Right. So he has to prove this spring that he can stay healthy, be out there every day, and, and be dependable. And it's not a knock on him. I mean, you're hurt, you're hurt, right? I mean, it is what it is. But he has to prove he can play through that and stay healthy, make sure, sure. you're stretching, whatever the case may be. Figure out why you keep having these hamstring injuries because track athletes tend to be a little bit more tightly wound in those type of situations. So figure out and I literally mean physically tightly wound, right. not emotionally. Uh, you know, just want to make sure people are clear. <laughs> but that's the thing, Vince, is, man, it's like you start thinking about what this offense could be if they could get the 2019 version of Braden Lindsay with the running game they have yeah, and, right. and, the, and Jack Cohn who can throw the deep ball and and Jordan Johnson and Michael Mayer and Kevin Austin and, and Avery Davis and all, you know, Xavier Watts. I mean – Hey, that's where you start kind of getting excited. Like mm, this team well, could we be, do, this because, team could be really good. Yeah, we do. But we, he's got to be that. Yeah, he's got to do it. I, I mean, he's got to be healthy. I don't care what schematic changes they're going to make. Braden Lindsay can make an impact if the offense is the same as it was last year. Sure. No, absolutely. he just has to be healthy enough to do it. My final guy is is a lot different than Braden Lindsay, <laughs> obviously. Um, and and physically, the position they play, all of the above. Um, but if we know anything about this offense, we know that they love the tight ends and, uh, Michael Mayer by far the number one tight end, but there's an opportunity for my guy, George Takis to really take a step and be that clear cut number two tight end. And we know with Notre Dame, if you're a number two tight end, there's, there, there's games where you're going to start. So, you know, that's a really important role in this offense and everything that we've seen from a recruiting standpoint, 
um, from everything we've seen for the last year, year and a half, two years, there's going to be multiple tight ends. So you need to have a one, a two, and even a three um, step up. And this is a prime opportunity for George Takis to step up. Um, I'm excited about what he brings to the table. I think he could be really good in that number two role. Um, But if he doesn't, there's opportunities for other guys to take. And there's some. Off. There's some cats behind him now. You know it, and and so this is the spring is so important for George yeah. Dakis because I thought when he got his opportunities, you know, this past fall there weren't last many. two years. Oh, I mean, yeah. that, that touchdown he, catch he had against Duke in 2019 right. was one of the most impressive, like bad ball reach behind catches that a tight end's going to make. I mean, it was as good as the Alize Jones or Alize Mack touchdown against Florida State back right. in uh, 2018. Right, remember so, that one. Yes, no, absolutely. Yes. absolutely. That was an impressive, impressive so, play. So, so that's the thing. We know he can make plays. He's he's taken advantage of the opportunities, the limited opportunities that he's had over the last two years. Now he's about to get a big opportunity. Yeah, and so and, and, and limited is is it? understandable. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is not one of those criticisms that we have no. of other positions. You not have Al, you've had some dudes in front of you. You know, right. as he a freshman, a he had Alze Matt, Cole Komet, Brock yeah. Wright. Twenty nineteen, he had Cole Komet. Tommy Trumbull broke out. I mean, I understand why he's playing limited. It's, I get it's it. not a it's not a knock on them. But now the three, you know, all three of those guys are gone. Now and you're the veteran. Opportunity. Yeah, you, yeah, you are the vet. You have yeah. the opportunity you're, to step into that number yeah. two role. You're not beating Michael Mayer out, but as you said, Vince, the number two tight end is basically a starter. I mean, it's yes. like being the slot receiver. Well, yeah, I may not be the outside guy, but I'm still starting. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think Brock Wright last year was the number three tight end, and he only played 50 fewer snaps than Avery Davis. Right. Right. So, exactly. You know, I mean, I'm actually going to pull up the, the pro football focus numbers here real quick from a snap standpoint. And last year, Tommy Tremble, the number two tight, the number two tight end, played 472 snaps. The number three tight end played 345. So yes, to your point, Vince, if he wins that number two job, he's going to play a lot. Yeah, exactly. And he's got the opportunity to do it. So let's yeah. see what happens this spring. I, yeah. This is if he doesn't just grab hold of that spot this spring there's a chance that he gets passed over. Yes. And so this spring is uber important for George Takis. I'm, I'm also interested. Here's another reason I'm going to add a little, little layer to this. He has to be good for another reason because he's a little different as a number two tight end than Tommy Tremble was the last two sure. years. Meaning Tommy Tremble was almost like a fullback H-back a lot of the time. That's not George Takis. He's 6'6", 250 pounds. Mm-hmm. So he he would be more of a traditional two tight end like they used to use right back with Tyler Eifert and Troy Nicholas and Ben Koyak. So they're going to have to alter what they've done if he's the number two. Which we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Which is even more reason for him to have to really be good. Yep. Because it's like, hey, if, if we're going to change some things around for you, you better ball out. And now it's it's a situation where could you imagine having to face Notre Dame when Michael Mayer is their second biggest tight end? Good point. Good point. <laughs> and I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, he he's a talented player. He he's one of those guys that his lack of playing time is one of the things you want to be the reason certain guys don't play because it's like, yeah, he's good, but man, have you seen it's the guys in front of him? Yeah. yeah. But now, like you said, now it's time to shine. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. So the next category that we want to talk about, Brian, we're going to go into the position battles. Yeah. And there's a ton. Uh, yeah. We narrowed it down to, I think, five. Yeah, and, and even within those five, we kind of clumped a bunch of positions we into did. one. <laughs> so instead of like left guard, yeah. like offensive line. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's be honest. We could do an entire show on this. We could this, do two entire yeah, shows on, on position this battles. one topic. So we're going to yeah. kind of fly through it a little bit, but – um, we're, we're gonna, gonna hit on the real key ones. We're gonna highlight, ones, yeah. yeah. We're gonna highlight the ones that we're keeping an eye on, uh, for sure. So, uh, and, and one we kind of just talked about, uh, you know, in the, the previous one, Vince, the two tight that's end, true. that's you know, true. Um, it it, and it's that battle for George. Off, Ta- but, no, it's listen, yeah. look, it's the George Takis, Kevin Bauman, Kane Barong battle, sure. Uh, you know, George Takis is the veteran, he gets that chance. You talked sure. a lot about that, you've been. You've been pounding the George Takish drum since when, when was the when did the uh, the uh, Rose Bowl? What day was that? Was that January first? Yeah, I think it was. All right, so since about yeah. midnight on January first, you've been pounding the George Takish drum, or maybe I should say that the, the five seconds after Tommy Trumbull declared for the NFL <laughs> yeah, draft, that's, that's when right. you started pounding the the George Takish drum. That's right, understandably so. It, it, but this battle's interesting too, Vince, because it's not just about who the number two tight end is; it's also about are the two and three, is it like, well, okay, well, that guy kind of won the number two. Or is it, man, it's a battle. So you know what? We feel really good about our 13 personnel, all right. three tight ends. Yeah. So that's what's going to make this interesting. How that battle shakes out is going to determine whether they continue to be a heavy tight end personnel group mm-hmm. or they're like, yeah, we don't feel great about the number two tight end. Because here's the, here's the interesting thing about this one. If you're the number two tight end, you're not just in competition with the third and fourth tight ends. You're in competition you're in comp- with the wide receivers. Slot receiver, yeah. the second running back, all yes, that. Absolutely. And there's a lot of options to not have you on the field if you're yeah. not stepping out just besides the guys behind you. Yeah, that's a really good call. That's a really good call about the tight end because 
we've we've documented the wide receiver position and mm-hmm. and and the talent that we believe that is there and that's actually one of the position groups yeah. that we're going to talk about so i'll just segue yeah. right into yeah, it because they kind of go together in yeah, absolutely some ways, absolutely because look you and i both want about six wide receivers to see significant yeah i think that's about as deep as you can go and that's fine five, five to six is about as deep as you as far as the practical every game yes rotation you you can't go much deeper than that then it just gets a little bit like nobody's getting enough snaps but they've got enough talent at to go six deep and for me to feel comfortable with those six guys Mm -hmm. and you know that kind of goes to the philosophy shift that we have been hammering and we've been talking about and all that but you're right it has a lot to do with the tight ends too because if they decide that they don't trust the number two number three tight ends then they have to go back to the wide receiver. Yeah. They're not going to add running backs. And it's not even just about not trusting. It's just like, hey, our number two tight end is a good player, but <laughs> our third and fourth receivers are, are just beasts. Killing it. Or we have to figure out ways to get Kyrie right. and, and Tyree on the field together. Absolutely. So, it's again, it's not even just that they don't trust them. It's just that's how mm-hmm. much talent, in my opinion, exists at those other positions. And, you know, to the receiver thing, it's – to me, there's not a single receiver position that's necessarily locked down because I look at Avery Davis and I say – He would be the only one know, I would come up with. Well, yeah. But see, what I was going to say on that is it's kind of like Jarrett Patterson along the offensive line. He's going to play, but where is he going to play? Yeah. And what I mean by that is does he just stay in the slot or does he kind of become a guy that you move around a little bit more, play him in the backfield a little bit, play be. him outside in a, in 12 personnel? Because, like, do you going to take him off the field when you're in two tight ends? Or is he going to be able to play the outside stuff? Is he capable of playing the outside position? Does he have the ball skills to play the outside position? So, you know, he but he's going to play somewhere. It's just where is he going to play? Sure. But then who steps up with those other receivers? If if it's if it's Jordan Johnson, Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsey, uh, Lawrence Keys, Xavier Watts, Lorenzo Styles, Joe Wilkins Jr. Those those are all just the guys who are going to be here in the spring. And those are all good big names. Yeah, those we are haven't even got to like Deion Colsey who shows up in the fall. We're just yeah. talking the guys that are on campus. So, you know, those guys are going to be battling too. Like, hey, coach, bump that 13 personnel stuff, man. You got to keep the Jets on the field, right? I mean, <laughs> That's you right. know, where are the guys? Hey, those guys can help us, you know, convert third and two, but we can convert, you know, second and 10 at the own 20 into a touchdown. You know, right. I mean, that's just who we are. They got to step up too. So those two positions are kind of battling themselves. Yeah. For who the, but but they're also battling each other. Absolutely. For what, who's going to be love that? What's going to be the what the and as a coach, you want to say, hey, look, why did we go more eleven personnel this year? I'm like, well, did you did you watch the guys that we were throwing out there? You yeah. know, that's why. Yeah. And and so it's a it's a really interesting situation, and and it also gives you the opportunity if both step up. That when you get to the fall, it's you don't know what Notre Dame's going to do from week to week, and that makes you one week they're in so twelve personnel for fifty snaps, and the next week they're in twelve personnel for ten, right? And they're in eleven personnel for sixty snaps, and you just don't know. You so you spent all week preparing for twelve and thirteen personnel, and then they, Notre Dame comes out with eleven personnel and and twenty personnel or twenty one personnel, which is two backs. It, it you know, and you're just like we don't know what to expect from them from week to week. That's what you want to be. Absolutely. I mean, that's 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 the that's the dream right there, Vince. That's yeah. the dream, and, and so that's what makes those two position battles so important. Is if the receivers don't step up this spring, and and guys seize hold not, again, someone's going to start. Right, you got to start at least one of them. You're not mm-hmm. going to go 14 personnel all game, right? Yep. Unless Notre Dame thinks they can win. You know, go back to the you know the Newt Rockney days or the Frank Leahy days where you you know you're you're having scoreless ties or tying 10 to 10 in the right. game of the century, you know, that kind of stuff. That's not today's football. The four horsemen and the seven mules. You're not, <laughs> not a fan, there you not go. A fan no, of that. no, okay. no, no. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, 
anyway, don't go down that path. But right, no, the, I get it. The I point it. is, though, someone's going to start a receiver, right? But are you starting because you're the best of the group we have, or are you starting because wow, this guy had a great spring, and sure. and that's what makes the receiver position battles important. You know, so who plays W if Kevin Austin is out or at least limited? Who steps into that spotlight? You know, is Joe Wilkins gonna is gonna be there? Is he gonna make plays, or is he just kind of there because he's the veteran? Right. Are they gonna give Xavier Watts a chance to go out there and make plays to to seize hold of a job? What what's Jordan Johnson gonna do? Is he gonna get that chance? Is he gonna step up, seize hold? Lorenzo Styles, Lawrence Keys, Avery Davis. There's so many different things. I would even love to see a, a series Vince where, you know, they come out and Jack Cohn's on the sideline, and you got Avery Davis at quarterback, and you've got Chris Tyree. And and Kyron Williams to each side of his, and you've got Michael Mayer and two receivers on the field, and you just run some power read and some stuff, and just, just and you only need to have three, about four, and four just, plays, you, and that's it. You yeah. pr- and you literally run them back to back to back yes. to back as fast as you can. Yep, absolutely. And yep. and just and you know do it maybe early against Toledo and just kind of see how it goes, and then maybe rip off a big play, and you know maybe on that you run a you run a fake power read, and then you got Braden Lindsey running a reverse the other way, and it's like you know okay which fast dominant ball in his hands guy do we want to have to take out of this one it's not as something you're going to do all the time or even very often but it's just part of that creativity we talked about but you can't do that if those receivers don't step up as playmakers yeah right and that's why this spring is they have to say hey coach look how good we are look how many plays we make we're balling every day put us on the field right right and that's why this spring battle so is so important because you want to feel comfortable saying, you know, I don't really know who's going to start at W. There's two ways to say that. Boy, man, I don't know who's going to start there. These guys are all playing great. Or right. I have no, no idea who's going to start at W. We are screwed. Put out there. Can we get some great? You know what? This 14 personnel is looking pretty good. Looking I, really good I, right I think, about I now. I think this might work. You know, <laughs> let's. Let's try the old what what would it be, Vince? It'd be 23 personnel. Let's give that a whirl. <laughs> yeah. You know, two back the old three tight jumbo ends. package. Whatever, yeah. man. It's right. we're at our own 20. It's all good. You yeah. Know? Doesn't matter. Um, you don't want to be in that. You want guys right. to say, oh man, I I I we're gonna have to see who separates themselves in the in sure. the summer and the fall. And that's what's gonna make this this deal interesting. And that's why, Vince, we kind of lump those into one category, is because we could talk all day about the w position the x Absolutely. the z yeah no the, doubt the, you know the the tailback the fullback positions are you know y h f you know all those different positions we could do a couple shows on those battles and how that impacts the team and maybe we will and we when well, we you know, we are going to do that after the spring <laughs> um, but uh but that's what's going to be that's those are the battles that i'm really looking forward to because to me those battles are going to shape could shape could shape the entire direction of the offense Right. Heading into next season, if you're like, man, our tight ends are way ahead of our receivers, then guess what? You're going to be doing a lot of during the summer. Well, let, what's some interesting twelve and thirteen personnel stuff? We right, do? yeah, and and that's not where you you necessarily want to be. So we've got a couple of other position uh, battles that we want to talk about, and we've got two on the defensive side, one still on the offensive side. Since we talked too offensive, let's just finish up the offensive side mm-hmm. of the ball, uh, offensive line. Pick and, a line position, any that, line position. That's exactly right. <laughs> Just like you said, we could talk center, we could talk guard, left right. guard, right. We, I, I think practically speaking, right now heading into spring, center is not a position battle. I would agree with right that. Right now. I, I would agree with that. I and would I, say that wherever Josh Lug is playing right now is not a position battle. Having said that, even at a position like that, if the number two guy has a really good spring, then you could say, okay, well, you know, Quinn Carroll had a great spring. 
let's move Josh Lugg in sure. the guard because our you guards are playing well. Right. Move Josh go. Lugg. And then right. the same thing with Jared Patterson, for that matter. I mean, right. he's kind of penciled in at the left tackle position. Right. We think. But we're not going to really see him much this spring. He's limited. At all. He's limited with injury. So, you know, he's kind of – and we talked about we, – we did a show a while back about how we wanted the dominoes to fall with the mm-hmm. offensive line, and we wanted – the Jarrett Patterson, Josh Lug dominoes to fall first. And they kind of have. And they, that kind will kind of have. That will kind of tell right. us where everything else is going to be. Right. Now, with Jarrett Patterson being out for the most part, he's kind of the last domino to fall. Right. Because you're going to yeah. you're going to let those was, other He positions. was first, and this is what we we talked about that in the, the offensive line show, but he kind of was the first domino to fall in that, as I thought through our show, he was the first domino to fall in that they're willing to move him away from center. Yeah, well, that's fair. Yeah, now it's okay. I get but that. Where, but where? now he's so he's going to be first, and then at the end because he's out, it's like okay, let's see who else steps up because oh, they're going right. to let those battles happen, right? And wherever wherever those strong battles are, where where a guy just takes over, awesome. Right. And if there's a if there's a spot that isn't so strong, uh, we got this guy back here who's right. really good, our we best could, lineman. Yeah, right. we we could put him right in that spot, and we're going to be just fine. Right. So. Um, it gives it it gives the uh, the offense kind of an ace in the hole, yes. if you will. And I, I love that as a coach, you'd love to have that ace in your back pocket, um, where you can just put him at any one of the five positions, mm-hmm. and you're going to be just fine. Uh, yeah. I don't see him going back to center. Obviously, I I, I agree with yeah. you. Yeah, B- barring that, injury, yeah, you barring could injury if you, right. you could if you had to. Right. Um, and so Zekro has has had some injury troubles. Sure. sure. And and if he gets banged up again in the spring, then you may have to say, "Look, we love Zeke, but he just can't say it's just not going to happen, right?" You know, and, and we can't go into the season. It's just like we talked about Brain Lindsay. You know, you know, Zeke Carell was banged up at times early in his Notre Dame career. He gets a start against North Carolina, gets hurt again, misses the next couple games, comes back for the Bama game. So uh, we liked how he played, but again, you have to prove that you can be dependable. You have to, especially at center, because you you right. can't be rotating centers every. Right. You right. can decide to go 12 personnel one week, 11 personnel the next week, but you can't decide to play without a center. Right. And, uh, you know, and he wouldn't that it that's just the, the big caveat for me, Vince. The important thing for me is you got to get through this spring healthy with Zeke, if you're Zeke. Absolutely. Carole. You got to prove that you can be out there because he is he's a talented player. And I think the staff wants him to be. good. Yeah, I do. There's too. A, there's there's an opportunity. They're kind of giving him because because he is talented and he, and yes. he does put in the work. He's just got to go out there and 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 show that their their faith was warranted. Yeah, absolutely. because if he does that, then it helps solidify a lot of those other things. If that position then becomes open, now all of a sudden those positions because like right now we're thinking like three positions are 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 locked in. Yes, three starters are locked. Well, three in. starters are not necessarily. Positions. Where will they yeah. be? But if Zeke Carell's not ready to go, now all of a sudden it's 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 one. Yeah, and that's you know, or you know, it's or it's two. You're down one, and now all of a sudden you got three uncertainties. That's, that's not a where huge you want difference to when you're talking about five guys. Right now, you're like positions. a bunch of dudes battling for two open spots. Yeah, which is a great place to be. Now it's ta- both tackles and both guards are where guys are competing. But really, though, all those guys are competing for two spots because then Lug and Patterson will be kind of the chess pieces you move around. So correct. I, that's what I, I wish we were. If you and I were allowed to be at practice, it's like, Hey Vince, oh. I'm going to go watch the quarterbacks. You go down and watch the linemen. You yeah. Know, that, that's how it would be because you know, those two positions on offense are so important, right? Hey, I'm going to go watch the receivers. You go watch the linemen. And then we would yeah. trade. Cause eventually I just kind of, God, I just got to go watch them. <laughs> um, yeah, as a former quarterback, nothing gives me more joy than watching good offensive linemen. Cause that's not something I experienced but. myself as a player. Um, 
but uh, it's just such an important key to this offense, and and that's why it's these position battles on offensive line are going to be so important. Like you said, Vince, you said it. You want guys seizing yes. those opportunities. That's the key. So we've got two position groups on the defensive side of the ball that we need to talk about, Brian, and I think these are pretty obvious, um, at least based on if you've been paying any attention to what we've been <laughs> saying, these should be very obvious. I'll start with uh, the one that is – uh, wide open um, and that's the boundary corner mm-hmm. position and you have you brought up a few names earlier when we were talking about some of the young guys who have the opportunity to step up mm-hmm. um, I, I believe you had one of them with your freshman and you had one with your young guys if I'm not mistaken no, you had one with the young guys you had Cam Hart I did I talked yes. about both, okay. of the, yes. both of the freshmen Ryan Barnes yes. and Philip Rett. so basically you. that's kind of where it is right that now is. yeah right yeah it, it's it's um you look at it and you say it's you've got the you've got Am Hart coming back. He's the guy that they're going to give a Ooh, shot. I to love the boundary, right? If you, if, you're not, if you skipped ahead to this part of the podcast, I love Cam, I love yes. me some Cam Hart. So yes. I, you know Vince, I don't know which bandwagon you jumped on first, George Takis <laughs> or Cam Hart. It's probably Cam Hart um, because I was I was excited yeah. about him last yes. spring, and for good reason. Then, yeah. as you know, I'm not coming down. The other the other returner that's gonna that's right now penciled in for the boundaries, Caleb Offered, and I just don't see him being a being a factor. Maybe he'll he'll surprise me. I think right. Ramon Henderson could eventually move to the boundary if the need is there, but they're gonna give these two freshmen an opportunity to battle and they're gonna give Cam Hart every opportunity to win this job. There's a lot of optimism that these guys can step in and play. This spring is gonna be huge for Cam Hart, Vince. Mm-hmm. I mean, just huge. Yep. And you've laid out the case before. It's it's he missed out on that develop much because he came to Notre Dame as a receiver, played receiver most of his freshman year. His first spring on campus was supposed to be last year. Correct, and he was going to move to corner. He was a position court. change, his first yeah. full chance to learn a position, and he lost it, and, yeah. and he needed it because we saw in that one practice he made some really impressive yeah. plays, and then there his was athletic plays. He got burned, yeah. you know, because right. when he was getting burned, it was because he wasn't slow. It's just he wasn't reacting quick. Well, and it's technique. Yeah, I mean, he, he needed that spring of technique work. You I mean, need to see post routes a thousand times. Yes, you, you need to see comebacks. That you need to be able to tell the difference between a goal route and a comeback because you've seen both of them a thousand times. Correct. And and that's just that work. Like, hey, when a guy's running a goal route, I tend to pick up the body language is going to look. You know, he's going to be a little bit, you know, more forward. Yeah. When it's a comeback, he's kind of here because you know there's just little tricks that you learn as a DB to kind of start telling those things. But those are. Exp- you can you that's not something you can learn in the film room. You can right. tell them to look for it in the film room. Sure. But you don't see it and you don't really get to to learn how to see it until you experience it firsthand. And he lost hundreds of reps. Yes. Hundreds yes. of reps. Absolutely. Because spring ball got got and canceled. So, so all of that learning yes. got moved to the fall. Right. Where he wasn't really a factor to get on the field. And now you had Nick McLeod who's obviously that was his spot and he did a great job. They tried playing him early in the year in some different situations, but it was obvious he just wasn't, just wasn't ready. ready. Yeah, he just wasn't ready. He didn't have that. He didn't have that spring. And right. so his spring was moved to the fall, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so now he's got another spring where he can really hone those skills and really take hold of that position. Like you said, mm-hmm. they're going to give him every opportunity, I think, to take over that position. And if he if he uses this spring the way we think that he will – he could be really, really good by the time mm-hmm. we get to fall. I- I'm really excited about what he brings to the table over there in that boundary spot. So it clearly something we're going to be keeping an eye on. 
Vince, I'm going to I'm going to bring up a point to you that one of our listeners on the YouTube channel brought up and I'm going to pull it up here cuz he he said something to me that that I thought was very interesting. Okay. And 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 because of what he said, if what he says is something that 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 the coaches are interested in, then I think it's even more important in my opinion that the freshmen step up and Paul ball both of them. Um and and that is it was uh, uh, someone named Chef Terry Thomas, which is like so I, picture of him cooking. So I think he's a real chef. So that's awesome. Um, because uh, you know, Vince, you know, I you know I love to cook. So yeah. funny story when we were doing the uh, the live podcast yesterday, I had I had made started the process of making bread. You know, I like to make homemade bread. I do know that. And so because we're getting ready to do the show, I'd ask my wife, "Hey, can you do a couple things?" Cuz I I'm and so she was literally at the at the point of getting ready to jump onto the the live show and ask me, "Hey, how long do I'm supposed to cook the bread for?" But luckily she figured it out. Um <laughs> but uh so yeah, uh, Chef Terry Thomas, I don't know why that we went on that tangent. But anyway, he brought up this <laughs> point Vince and he said Hamilton, Griffin, and Hart at the safety positions, at the three safety positions. So basically, as like that, that yeah. maybe Cam Hart being like that, that, that third safety, third, that, that spot yeah, guy, four to five which, guy. Yeah, right. That intrigues the heck out of me. I it, see because, it. But you can't do it if Ryan Barnes and Philip Riley don't. Absolutely. You need somebody to be starting Both over there them. at the boundary. Yeah. yeah you're not yeah. going to move Cam Hart because one freshman stepped up and that's it. Right, but if both of those guys step up, then you can move Cam Hart. Or if Cam Hart and a freshman and Ryan Barnes step up, then you can move Philip Riley. So to me, this is a position battle where I'm not so much concerned about who starts. I know you are because you really you think if Cam Hart starts, it means he has that breakout that you're waiting for. Sure, and I I agree. I'm taking it a different direction. So I, I'm I think it's interesting. With you no, I, I think it's more of a if those young guys and Cam Hart step up that's even more important than just one guy. And I so that's why I think it's a little different. Why this position battle to me I gotcha. is the most in-depth on defense because it could impact so many other things. It's interesting if that you more say more guys step up. I, I feel like if that happens, what you're saying, if that actually happens and what Chef was talking about, I feel like that puts this Notre Dame defense almost a year ahead of schedule. Yeah, if that, if yeah, that makes sense. That. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that Marcus Freeman is counting on the fact that somebody's going to step up and take that kind of third safety as a as a DB, right? Exactly right. right. I, I don't know that he's anticipating that that's going to happen. Beyond nickel, I think right. that's about the only time there is when they get into third down and and nine, that's different. That's like that's that, right. yeah, that's situational. But yeah, I I, right. I feel like that they would be a year ahead of schedule if if that yeah. happens, and that would be huge. No Whether question. it's Hart or a guy like Philip Riley sure. or something like that, yes. And, but that's why this battle is so important because you you ideally need more than one guy to step up, ideally. And if you can do that, then you start feeling really good Absolutely. about where things stand in that regards. So our, our, our final defensive position that we're going to be keeping an eye on as a position battle, we talked about it earlier uh, because I brought up Shane Simon as a veteran that needs to step up or has an opportunity to step up this spring. And that's the Will Linebacker position, formerly mm -hmm. known as the Buck. It's going to be played a little bit differently, but – Technically, Shane Simon is the returning starter at that spot, right? And you named off the plethora of guys that are behind him that are just waiting in the wings for Shane Simon to relinquish that starting spot. And 
I would personally love it if this was almost a timeshare situation. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's enough talent there at the will linebacker position where I want those guys to get on the field. I don't want it to be one mm-hmm. guy. Even if Shane Simon takes that step we talked about, um, I would still like to see Maris Lewifile. I would still like yeah, to see Jack Yeah, at least Kaiser. a 70-30. Yes, oh, absolutely. I, I wouldn't like to see Jack Kaiser there. I'd like to see well, Jack Kaiser. Well, you want to see him over at Rover. Yeah, we, yeah, and we've talked about that. I, I want Jack Kaiser on the field. I don't care right. where how he gets on the field. I, I just don't. Th- I just question if he's big enough to play seventy snaps every single week. And that's fair as an inside linebacker. And that's fair. But um, he needs to play somewhere. Yeah, he's too good not to play. That's what I'm saying. So go off on your on your will linebacker position and the guys that are there to potentially uh, really make this a fun battle. Yeah, well, you got Maris Lufau, obviously. You've got uh, Osita Ekwana, who's played some Mike, could also play the bu- the Will. Sorry, the Will is the old Buck position. Right. You've got J.D. Bertrand, and you've also got the potential that you've raised in the past of if Bo Bauer and and, De- and Drew White are to your two best linebackers, then you move one of them. You right. figure something out and you move one of them. And, right. And th- so there's a there's a lot of talent. We haven't even talked about Prince Collie, who's going to show up in the fall. This is just yeah. a spring preview. A spring preview. Yeah, that's right. You know, and, and and the coaches could still decide to keep Jack Kaiser inside. They may say, hey, look, the way that we run this defense, Jack can be a Will and a Sam. He can do those, you know, so a three three five guy. He can, you know, which is sort of that a bit like the Rover. You know, but that fifth guy would be a DB and that kind of thing. So there, Jack can't let uh, Jack Kaiser could end up being a, a Swiss Army knife kind of guy in, in that role. And you know, it's going to be interesting, Vince. It's yeah. going to be very interesting because, to your point, Shane Simon could have a breakout and still not be the guy that dominates hundred percent of the snaps because because I think the thing that's nice about your what you talked about, Vince, is it you don't have two guys that are the same guy. Exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, Shane Simon is that big, athletic, uh, whole plugger, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, and then you've got Maris Lufau, who, pun intended, plays with his hair on fire, right? Yeah. I mean, he is just, there's the ball, poo! I'm, you know, right. he, I mean, he's just, just speed incarnate, right? I mean, he plays just, with fire. Yeah, just, which I love. He was a young guy that made a lot of young guy mistakes last year. Yeah. He's a redshirt freshman that made a lot of redshirt freshman and mistakes. The, and the mistakes he made was being but overly made, aggressive. The and thing I'm I never like going to fault him, a kid for that. Here's what I like about him, Vince. Every mistake he made, he made 100 miles an hour. That's exactly right. Yes. And that's what you want. I can yep. figure, you know, look, I've said this a million times. I can teach you the, the play. You'll eventually get it with experience. But if, you're, if your go-to whenever you're uncertain is, oh, let me pause, let me think. Right. If Maris is, and when the ball snapped, Maris has figured out, has decided what he's going to do. It may be wrong, but he's but decided he's what he's going to do, gonna it, do baby. and he's going to go. Yes. And and there was a few times, you know, the, there was a, a play in, against Alabama where he kind of got caught peeking in the backfield and the tight end leaked outside. It was a play where they had a really good pass rush up the middle. The quarterback spun out. But more often than not, he made plays going 100 miles an hour. And so right. I could see a scenario in which you, you have two different skill sets, right. both very athletic. That you say, well, we're going to, you know, maybe one week Maris is going to play more against the USC and Shane's going to play more against the Wisconsin or vice versa. Because you could say, hey, we want the better run defender at will against USC. So that way we can commit our other resources to the pass. You know, so there's a lot of different things you can do that you can say, hey, look, we have unique skill sets. Let's get those guys on the field. And I would like to be in a situation where the will linebackers play so well that the Mike linebackers have Mm -hmm. to be worried about what we were saying with the, the, the will linebackers where. Hey, Drew White and Bo Bauer, if you guys don't want to play well, that's fine. We're going to move Shane to Mike and, and put Maris yeah. at will, and we're going to be okay. Yep. 
I love competition. I think competition is healthy. I think that the great teams have great competition. Alabama has great competition. That was a big thing for USC back in the day with Pete right. Carroll. Right. Hey, look, you don't want to play well. You don't want to bring it. You don't want to go to class. That's fine. I got three dudes behind you just as good. Just chomping so, at the bit, yeah. baby. So. And and so, again, that whole not go to class thing was just a general comment. It was not uh, yes. geared towards Shane Simon. Shane Simon, from everything I've heard, is a very good student I, in Notre yes, Dame. That is correct. But, man, people get sensitive about stuff. You know, they I think, know. well, who are you I calling know. out? Like, okay, you know, I don't want to get whatever. So that's that's going to make this Will linebacker position interesting. And, and the concern is a legitimate that neither of them take yeah, the steps sure. that they need to. And, and that's, if we're being real, that's the, that's the other <clears throat> side of this coin is – if they don't step up and they and they have the same inconsistency they had last year, what happens? The defense is going to give up too many yeah. big plays. Absolutely, and, and that's what yeah. hurt Notre Dame this year. Is too many big plays yep. and too many clutch <clears throat> plays. Where in the past in the big games, you you thought they were going to make stops, and and this year there was too many times in some of those games where they they didn't make stops sure. in the big games. Sure, uh, or they had to rely on Jeremiah Usukoromo or Kyle Hamilton rescuing those mistakes. You can't ask them to do that again this year. Well, one right. guy can't because he's gone, and you can't ask Kyle Hamilton to do that. And and so that's why that's my that's my concern. I hope that we're not talking about the the will linebacker position still being a question mark coming out of spring, even if it's hey we don't know who the starter is going <clears> to <throat> be because these all guys play great, right? But we're confident that we're going to get good play there. We can't be talking about oh, Shane was struggling with this and Maris was struggling with that, and you know they got beat a lot and. Uh, that that would be the one of my that and Houston not stepping up at safety are my two biggest you want to call them concerns fears you know like worst nightmare scenarios <laughs> be, you know, you that, don't, that don't yeah. include injuries happening <clears throat> at the safety sure. at, on the defensive side of the ball yeah so Brian our last two categories we're gonna we're gonna focus on the coaching staff and uh, which I think is a lot of fun so to close it out. Uh, we're going to focus on the coaches. We, we've we've talked a lot about the players and the position battles and all that fun stuff, but we're going to focus on the coaches. And our first category is going to be uh, one on offense, one on defense. Which coaches can give the biggest impact, the biggest positive impact, biggest impact uh, for this season? One offense, one defense. You start off with this one since you went, okay. you went big with the big boys. Yeah, I, I did. I and and for me and and maybe again, this is a softball situation. Uh, but I went with the two coordinators. I went with Marcus Freeman. I went with Tommy Reese. And here here's the reason why. Marcus Freeman should be fairly obvious. He he's already making an impact on the recruiting trail. I uh, from what we hear, he's already making an impact off the field with the current players. Um, you know, he he's establishing those relationships. Uh, the linebacker position. Look, we just got done talking about it. It is a very important position. It's, I mean, it's always an important position, but there's there's a little bit of turnover. There's there's some question marks there. It's a you know how are they going to use the rover? Are they going to use a rover? All of that, and it's a new defensive philosophy and it's a new voice. And so he's going to have an impact on the defense. Period. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. So to me, that was <clears throat> excuse me, that was an easy call. Um, offensively, it, it's Tommy Reese, and here's why. You and I have have talked ad nauseum about the fact that we want to see a philosophy switch, a change, an adaptation, if you will, uh, for what this offense needs to do. There's talent on this offense. We want to see that talent highlighted, and we haven't seen that in the past. And Tommy Reese, we hope, has the control of that potential philosophy change. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does. 
if he does, then he's going to have a huge positive impact on this offense because we've said it a bunch. This offense can be explosive. This offense can score 40 points a game. I have no doubt in my mind that this offense can score 40 points a game. The talent's it, there. The talent is there. And I and I think they got a quarterback that can do it. I think Jack Cohn can put the ball in the hands of the guys who can make plays. I think he will stretch the field. I think he'll do what he needs to do to be a part of what that philosophy shift would be. This team can score 40 points a game. Can they make some of those changes? They don't need to make them all, but can they make some they of make those changes? Of yeah. And and if they the do, ones. it's going to be a huge impact on the yeah. offensive side of the ball for Tommy Reese. The reason I didn't go with Tommy mm-hmm. Reese in this regard is because I don't think ultimately that's Tommy Reese's decision. And I feel and, like and you're probably by, right by bringing up Tommy Reese. You almost you almost get in a situation where if it doesn't happen, then do we blame Tommy Reese? Right. And I, and I don't because I don't think ultimately it's his call. And I, I think, think that's I fair. Think it's Brian Kelly's call. Now, if Brian Kelly allows Tommy Reese to open things up, then that's going to be important. But here's why I went with Lance Taylor. Number one, Lance Taylor has an NFL background. He came to Notre Dame from the NFL. Uh, I believe he worked with North Turner. He was at Stanford with David Shaw. He's worked with some brilliant minds. And and I think he's a smart coach. Yeah. I my complaints about Lance Taylor have more to do with what he's doing on the recruiting trail just from an an overall getting after it standpoint, which again is always a concern when you hire NFL coaches. Sure. They're not used to that. And, and a guy from Stanford because yeah. recruiting at Stanford's a different animal yeah, than it's a, Notre Dame. it's a different animal than anywhere, right. really, with the way they do things. Yes. So that's but but as a coach, I think Lance Taylor's a very very good coach. I think his unique background as someone who's coached running backs, but also someone who coached because he didn't coach running backs in the NFL, he coached wide receivers, and I think that unique aspect could have a huge impact on on Tommy Reese. And, and as we've said before in this space, him and everything I've heard is that Tommy Reese and Lance Taylor get along really well, right? And yep. and, and there's a great deal of respect there, and I think that 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 he's a guy that to me could, could have sort of that, that influence on coach Reese that two guys that think alike, but it's two brains that think alike about instead of just one. And, and sure. as a, any coach will tell any great coach will tell you that why is it that, that Nick Saban and, and urban Meyer and Lou Holtz early in his tenure always hire these great coaches that go on to other places and have success. It's because <laughs> they understand the value of surrounding yourself with other great minds. I mean, if Urban Meyer was worried about you know being questioned or not being the guy, he doesn't bring Ryan Day on staff. As wicked smart as Ryan Day is, right? Right. And, and that's what I what I like about those kind of guys and and not being intimidated. I mean, Tommy Reese could kind of be looking over his shoulder. Does Lance want my job? You know that stuff yeah. happens in football all the time. All the and time. That's not, and that's not happening from what I'm hearing. So that that <laughs> that symbiotic relationship between the two of them is important. But I also think Lance Taylor brings a legitimate experiential aspect to this offense that could be very important because the offenses they used at Stanford were very tight end, multi-running back oriented. I think he can he can have some influence on, okay, how do we use Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams together? How do we get these guys more involved in the pass game? How can we utilize our, our perimeter pass game more effectively? Because I, I don't think he's your typical run game coordinator in that 
he's like, this is how I worked on the staff once. And it was just the most stupid thing we ever did. I was a <laughs> pass game coordinator and my buddy Wendell and the old line coach were the run game coordinators. They would sit in their office coming up with the run plays. We run a run. And I'd have to be sitting in my office coming up with the pass games. We run a run and all the run stuff came from the I formation. All the stuff I wanted to do was out of three and four receivers. It doesn't work. It was just stupid. Yeah. So right. me and my buddy Wendell kind of had to, had to, we would meet beforehand. And he'd have to then be in the O with the O line coach kind of dragging him towards, you know, we need to yeah. have run game stuff that doesn't have a fullback and a tight end in the game. Right. And that, and you can't be like that. So it, the, that's the great thing about Lance Taylor is he is a run game coordinator that is a former wide receiver who coached wide receivers in the NFL. So the ability to kind of mesh those two things together, which was mm-hmm. not always a strength for Notre Dame, uh, is something I think he could really help with. So I think that's where he, to me, is the guy that I look at and say he could have a big, a big impact, and and hopefully, his knowledge as a former receivers coach can maybe start, you know, helping Coach Alexander get rolling, or maybe he takes more of a role with slots. Because remember when Tony Tony Alford at one point in time at Notre Dame was coaching the slot receivers and the running backs, so maybe there's something like that going on. So I, I think he's a guy that if he really seizes hold of of some ownership of this offense working with coach reese could be a big impact but again it all boils down to brian kelly yeah those all those ideas are great but if brian kelly says hey 12 personnel run the ball control the clock don't turn the ball over ever under any circumstance uh take a shot where you might turn the ball (laughs) over um then then it doesn't matter how smart those guys are and so you know it's good to talk about but hopefully coach kelly's the one that ultimately is going to turn them loose or not. And that's what it is. Hey guys, I got some wicked smart dudes. Go. Right. Here's what I want. Exactly. Go do it. Go figure out how we can get it done. Defensively, it's Chris O'Leary hmm. for me. Because it's almost kind of like I'm just assuming Marcus Freeman's going to be great. It's kind of like when Clark Lee got hired, I just kind of assumed that the defense was going to keep rolling. I just had faith in him. I have a similar level of faith, if not more so in, in Marcus Freeman because we've actually seen Marcus Freeman do it. Sure. He's Clark been a DC, had never yeah. been a coordinator. Right. So I just kind of look at it like the D's already been great. And I and I ask myself, what position group needs to have the biggest jump in production this year and improvement in play in in compared to last year? And to me, it's safety play. I think safety play was a big drop off last year, partly because of the things we've talked about, but I just don't think they were coached well. And, and that's been an issue the last couple of years. And I've heard some stories from from so different sources that makes me say, boy, these guys weren't weren't always locked in and what they needed to do. They weren't getting coached the way that they need to get coached. The entire depth chart definitely wasn't getting coached. And so now that falls to Chris O'Leary. And if if he's as good as you know as a young coach as we say here he is, then he could have a big impact there. If, if the players <clears throat> respond to him the way that we hear that they're responding to him, the way that my sources have told me they're responding sure. to him then that's a big jump, and and that's such an important position in this defense. Mm-hmm. And so I think Chris O'Leary, you know, working with Coach Freeman, working with Kerry Cooks, who's an off-field, has an off-field role, that, that's important because they have to get the safety play down. So, yes, big picture-wise, Marcus Freeman, the new coordinator, all that, you know that I think he's, he's going to be great. But within that, a big jump in in overall consistency and play at the safety position is incredibly important. And I don't think he's working with the same level of talent after the first two that yeah. Mike Mickens <clears throat> is working with, that right. Coach Freeman's working with a linebacker, or that Mike Elson's working with the defensive line. So it's going to require even more 
of him being really on point. And I'm not worried about his age so much because I've always felt as a position coach, if you have the chops, you have the chops. And if you're coachable as a coach, as a young coach, and you're surrounded by other really good coaches and you have the chops, you're going to be great. And with Kerry Cooks on staff, with Marcus Freeman, with Mike Mickens, you have plenty of guys that can be an assist an assist to you. Mm-hmm. But I also think that that he has, if he has the chops that they say he has and that I'm hearing he has, we could see the safety play get a lot better this year, and it needs to be. And that's why I say he have a, he could have a big impact because if he doesn't, and now all of a sudden Marcus Freeman mm-hmm. has to has to uh, spend even more time working with the safeties, sure. then that to me that takes away from what he's trying to do as the D coordinator. Because you say, well, he's going to have Nick Lazinski working with the linebackers anyway. I get that, but that's going to be because so then he can be the D coordinator, sure, exactly, and then step right. into the linebackers coach. I mean, he'll still be right. the linebackers coach, but if you have a GA that can coach as well as Nick Lazinski can coach. Right. Or and they've got Mike McCray now as a defensive analyst who pl- coach linebackers or you know and I'm not sure if he's going to be the D-line GA or or if Nick Lazinski's going to be an analyst. I'm not quite sure how that dynamic is going to work because they it's, also it's, hired a, a D-line yeah, GA. That's semantics. So I'm maybe it's, maybe Lazinski won't be there. I don't know, but the yeah, point is it's semantics. You're going to have gonna be involved there. You're yeah. going to have people there that can coach the linebackers, right. but that's to free up Marcus Freeman to be the D coordinator. If you're freeing him up because he's got to go help the safeties, then that takes away from what you're trying to do. So that's why ultimately for me, you know, Coach O'Leary is the one that that has the most to prove this spring. He's got to make Coach Kelly and Coach Freeman look smart. Correct. For n- taking the chance. Because it is, it's a chance. You're you're talking about a guy no whose biggest job as a full-time coach was at Florida Tech. Right. And I'm not saying that as a joke. His biggest job was at Florida Tech. Florida, Florida Tech. Tech. D2 yes. school, I believe. Right. And they took a chance on him. And, and I'm sure. cool with it. If, if he's as good as they say he is, sure, I don't know anything sure, sure, about sure. Chris O'Leary other than what people tell me. You know my stance on that, Vince. I think if you're a good coach, you can coach. I don't yep. care what level you're at. As an assistant, it's different than we're talking about being a coordinator. Absolutely. Whole different deal. Absolutely. So if he's as good as they say he is, I think this he could have an immediate impact. Immediate impact because he coaches such an important position. And if he doesn't get the job done, it now now Mike Mickens has to spend more time working with the safeties. Marcus Freeman does, and it hurts those positions. So uh, Chris O'Leary is certainly the guy on my list that I look at and say, "Poor, this is he's got a lot to prove this spring." And and you know, and he's gonna he's gonna go through some growing pains in the spring, but that's what the spring is for. And then you you learn from it, and you get out there next fall, and you're ready to rock and roll. So that's all the reasons I'm excited to see Chris O'Leary this spring. Our next category is coaches that have the most to prove. Yes. So I'm excited to see Chris O'Leary. I think he has a great opportunity to really benefit this defense. As we transition into our final point of what coaches have the most to prove. Yes. You kind of have a bit of an opposite view on this. Well, so that because he is your coach to uh, that you think has the most to prove. Well, and it, and it's almost because it, it, it's almost because it's like one of these things is not like the other. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, you've got Marcus Freeman, who we have talked about. He, we we love Marcus Freeman and what he brings to the table. Obviously, um, y- you've got uh, Mike Mickens, who we love as a cornerbacks coach, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he he has established himself as being able to coach corners. He did it at Cincinnati. He did he. We are excited about him. He's done it at Notre Dame uh, for a year, so we know what he brings to the table. And then, of course, you've got Mike Elston on the defensive line. We know when the anchor this defense the last three years. No question. Yeah. No question. So those three guys, I feel like, are established. 
uh, veteran, even though they're not older guys, right? Mick, Mickens is not an older guy, um, but I feel like those are the established three. And so process of elimination, we're left with Chris O'Leary, who has never been a position coach at the D1 level. And so I feel like, and, and I'm not using it as a negative thing in any way. I, I, I don't feel like Chris O'Leary having the most to prove is a negative thing. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's just a statement of fact. It's just a statement. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. He's the young guy. He's the new kid on the block, right? Um, and he is going to have the opportunity to prove people, well, some people wrong, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, because there's a lot of people that didn't think he should have gotten the job. And so I think there's going to be some pressure on him and the fact that he's coaching the best player on the team mm-hmm. and his position. And the biggest question mark on the that's team exactly, after that. That's exactly what I was going to say. The the depth after him is is who knows, right? So – He's got his work cut out for him. And if, you know, Kyle Hamilton doesn't take that next step, are people going to blame Chris O'Leary? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if. Well, they will, whether it's his fault or not. I mean, and that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's what comes with the, being a position coach. Yeah. And, and in Houston Griffith, if he doesn't do what we think he's capable of doing, they're going to blame Chris O'Leary. So I just, and then you talk about the depth and the two deep and all of that. So I just yeah, feel like it'll be, process, well, I mean, well, maybe he would have played better if they'd have hired a coach that wasn't 13 years old, you know, <laughs> that's that'll exactly be the kind right. of the stuff that people say. I, and, I don't, I don't buy it. Cause like I said, I, I know 60 year olds who can't coach their way out of a wet paper bag. Absolutely. Correct. And, and, and I know young them. coaches that can, yes. And I know young coaches that man's mm-hmm. like, boy, this guy's, this guy's sharp. He's going to be yeah, a star. Absolutely. Know? And, and so I think he's got pressure on him. I think he's got the most to prove just based on, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, just based on process of elimination. Those other mm-hmm. three guys they are established. We know what they bring to the table. They've proven themselves. Mm-hmm. And so mine's Chris O'Leary. For me, it's it's Coach Alexander on offense. I, I think he has done a good job taking veteran players and helping them with breakouts. You know, he he gets credit for what happened on Miles Boykin. He gets some credit for Chase Claypool's senior year. Uh, I think he gets some credit for Javon McKinley stepping up. My issue with him is I think he's done a very poor job developing young players. I think that he has focused so much on you know, coach Kelly's desire to, you know, no mistakes, no mistakes. And, yeah. and the way the coach Kelly coaches is, you know, if receivers make a mistake or running backs make a mistake, he's getting on the position coach. And I don't think coach Alexander's dealt with that real well. Yeah. So I think it's partly his fault that we haven't seen more young guys getting worked on, worked with. And, and he has done a, and this has been true from people I've talked to for, for really since he got here. And that is once the season starts, not doing a good enough job, making sure that everybody's invested and the young guys are still getting coached. And that has hurt the development of the young sure. players. Focuses on the starters. Focuses so on the, the young. Yeah. Right. And, and that's that's problematic. And, and the, the disappointing thing for me is I was excited about Coach Alexander when he got hired because he sure. had a very good reputation for what he did at Arizona State. He had a very good reputation for what he had done uh, at, at Wisconsin and, and Michigan State. I believe he also coached that. And I, boy, I thought, boy, this is going to be a, a really strong hire. He knows Chip Long's offense. They coach right. together. And he just hasn't brought the value as a recruiter that he should and as a coach that he should. And because this is such an inexperienced receiving core, it leaves me concerned about whether or not he's going to be able to get the most out of this group. Yeah. And, and because there's so much depth that he has to focus on, is he going to coach all of them? Or is he going to do what he's done in the past, which is, okay, let me focus on these veteran guys and and we're going to go with that. I, I'm sorry. There, yeah. There's never an excuse that I'm going to buy that's going to say, well, there, here's the reason why Freddie Canteen and Cam Smith and Chris Fink played over 100 snaps against Georgia in 2017 and Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool played 12 mm-hmm. combined. 
Yep. I'm just never going to accept any reason for that in a game you lost by one to the eventual national runners up. So people say, well, you know, Notre Dame's far away. No, they're not. No, that's a self, <laughs> that's a self inflicted wound in my opinion. Sure. And, and he's capable of more. Cause I do think he knows football. I do think he has a track record as a good, as a, as a successful coach. He just needs to kind of step up and say, okay, I, I got this and coach the heck out of these young guys. And yeah, and get away and get, you know, do a better job of improving the technique of these young players. Give them more of a repertoire. I think he, and this is partly, again, a Brian Kelly thing, they focus so much on the scheme, all these different route combinations and route that they don't do a whole lot when it comes to the technique. I like watch them off the ball and things of that they nature. They do like the yeah. same drills over and over and over again. And to me, like when I coach receivers, and this is something I learned from Urban Meyer studying him when he was a young coach and at Bowling Green is you're going to have the same drills because you don't have to be teaching new drills every single day, but you've got to be able to kind of go through some different, you know, emphases and, and working on different things and mixing those drills up, but it's still the same drill. And at Notre Dame, I feel like when I watch him coach, it's like, they're just going through drills just to go through drills. Right. Pass the and, time. Yeah. And we see them struggling yeah. with getting off the line against good corners. We yep. see them, and that's why they've had to rely on big players so much. Right. We see last year, oh my gosh, the spacing at receiver events last year was borderline awful for far too many snaps. And it, it's like, I'm watching this play against Duke. It's the play where, where Lawrence Keyes comes open late on a drag route, and Tommy uh, uh, Ian Book misses him. But part of the reason he misses them is because there was confusion. Like the three of them almost ran into each other on a mesh. And so Keys had to slow up and then go. If if they have better spacing, then it's a and we saw that so many times last year. Yeah. And and to watch Ben Skoranek just struggle to get off the line at the senior bowl because he has no pass rush pass moves. To talk about Chase Claypool coming back and he all he's gone through is rookie minicamp talking about, man, if I had these moves in, in college, I'd have been I'm like, what? And those are like, and they're elementary moves. I mean, it's yeah, not it's yeah. just it's frustrating because I know Coach Alexander's better than that. Right. And and they and but that's also a, a an emphasis on the entire offensive staff to say, hey, stop focusing so much on all the plays you're trying to run, run fewer plays out of different formations and different looks, but run the same concepts more often and focus on teaching them how to play the game. Right. Teach them how to stem a guy up, teach them how to properly manipulate the top end of their route. Teach them how to properly attack leverage. Pre pre teach them properly how to freeze a defender so that you can create an opening. Teach them properly how to execute a mesh route. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's beyond insane that Notre Dame is so bad so often at freaking mesh routes. Right. You know, it's like it's like, I mean, it's like this should not be that hard, fellas. You're it's too not. talented to, to, for it to be that way. That's coaching. You got landmarks. You got. I mean, yes. it's not and a it's difficult just timing. Thing to like teach. you need to go here, and then you need right. to delay with this. It's just it's it's frustrating because there's too much talent, and I think he's too good of a coach to not be getting more out of those guys based on what he's done. And I don't know what's going on right now, and I hope that he can get that going. But he's coaching a very important position on this football team, and and if he doesn't, in my opinion, do a better job of developing the entire depth chart then what we're going to do is we're going to get out there in the fall and it's going to be, you know, Joe Wilkins and Avery Davis and, you know, Whatever. veteran players yeah. out there. And, and, and it's not going to be enough of the guys that it needs to be. And then the young guys that do play are going to struggle. If you say, see that guy's struggling. Well, cause he's not being coached. Right. At least, you know, and, and 
I can't tell how many times I've heard from young receivers like, well, you know, once the season started, like I never really saw Coach Alexander other than we'd go through drills, but I don't meet with him because this is a Brian Kelly thing. The scout team players meet with the scout team coaches. They don't meet with the varsity coaches. Right. Uh, you, you go through drills with him, but he's focused on the veteran guys, and then you're with the scout team coaches the rest of practice. So once that once those depth charts yeah. are established, you know, you're not getting – it's a wasted year. Yeah, I, I will say – I will say this is a this is a of all the years that Dell Alexander has been on the staff, this year he could prove a lot of doubters wrong. Oh, 100 percent Because there is there, there's so many unknowns as far as production on the field at the wide receiver position that he could coach all of those guys up and to, make yeah. that group so good that we're gonna be like we were wrong. Yes. No, up. we weren't no, wrong. We're not that we're wrong. That, I, I take it back. I get what you're saying. But what, but, I'm, what, what frustrates me about that, Vince, is people say, well, you know, well, you were wrong about that guy. No, I wasn't. I evaluated him on the last three years. The last three sure. years weren't good. Just because he stepped out this final year doesn't mean that you weren't right the past three years. That he made the changes he needed right. to make. Right. And now he's – Because I'm waiting on it. Brian yeah, Kelly's exactly. going to make the changes on offense, and they're going to go out and score 43 points a game. People are going to see, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, well – he did everything I said that he should do, and they're scoring points. So how am I wrong? Right, exactly. That's how people view. Well, you were wrong because look what he did. What he does this year does not does not change what he did the past years. Right. I hope he changes. Yeah. I hope he gets back to being the guy he yeah, was absolutely. at Wisconsin, and and where I thought he was a great technical coach. I want to see him get back to being that guy. And yeah. then to your point, coach the whole roster up. Right. You have so many weapons. Get those young guys ready right. to go. Where your focus as a coach is on. Hey, Jordan. I'm gonna teach you how to play the game. I'm gonna mm -hmm. teach you how to run routes, and then we'll we'll get to the point. We'll focus on grasping the whole concept of it, but you need to know how to run all these routes. That's what I want to see from him. And if we can see that from him this year, then yeah, he'll go out and he'll silence the doubters. Sure. I don't think he's proven anybody wrong because it doesn't automatically mean it was a great idea to have Chris. You don't Faye change. You don't change the past. against Georgia, yeah. right? You don't or change have, the past, right? But it, it will change the trajectory of the future, and that's what there I'm hoping is. for. Yeah, because I think Del, Del Alexander at his best brings a ton of value to this mm -hmm. football program. We just haven't seen Del Alexander at his best. And right. that's what I'm hoping changes this spring. I'm hoping that the, all these young players, and these big question marks, maybe rejuvenates him a little bit. Sure. I have talked to a couple sources that have have made me think that he has done some looking in the mirror this offseason. OK. And and if I read correctly what I was told. It's another, just another little sign that's given me optimism that, okay, they're getting it. All right. And they're making the changes. But we'll see. You're getting we'll see me. At the end of the spring. Okay. I, okay. I, then you know I wouldn't be saying it if, if, I, well, if I wasn't hearing it. And that's cautiously optimistic. Some of those things, I'm like, boy, if he follows through with that and he does yeah. what he's telling, right. ooh, okay. this, could, this could be fun. This could be all exciting. Right. Like Tommy Reese telling recruits, yeah, we're going to throw the ball all over the place this year. I'm like, ooh, is he just giving okay. him a recruiting spin or is that like, because that tells me, and then you combine it with Brian Kelly being more involved in the recruiting trail. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's like, okay, maybe uh -huh. they're starting to listen. All right. And, and at the end of the day, those are the things that if they make those changes, this this team has the talent. There's no doubt in my mind. The talent is there. Agreed. I it just has to be agreed. utilized correctly. And, yep. and people say, well, it's not about coaching. It's about talent. I say, well, okay, well, then why didn't Brian Kelly do the same thing? Why wasn't Brian Kelly a worse coach than Charlie Weiss? Brian Kelly's never had the the overall top end talent that Charlie Weiss had. I mean, am, am so I Charlie wrong? Charlie Weiss didn't have the depth. Charlie Weiss, oh yeah, but, but he had top I mean, he five to six recruiting classes every year. Right, that's true. And, and and so it's like, well, if if it's not about 
coaching, then then why do coaches take over programs that are bad and then all of a sudden start to win? You know, and, and why do when coaches leave, they go out and they struggle after a coach leaves? You know, so, I mean, it, it is about coaching. That's why Brian Kelly has been so much better than the previous three coaches because sure. he's a better coach than they are. So you're right. winning more because he's a better coach. But sure. now it's about taking that next step. Absolutely. And those changes can have a big impact. And that's what has me <sighs> – yeah, you said cautiously optimistic, Vince. It's I'd say, I'd say, I'm not cautiously optimistic. I'm ho- more hopeful okay. than I was before. Oh, that's that's adorable. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more hopeful that we're going to see Brian Kelly become the coach. I always hoped yeah. he'd be back when they hired him away from Cincinnati. Absolutely. Well, believe it or not, that's going to do it uh, for this edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast and our official spring preview so i hope everybody got through it i hope everybody enjoyed it because this is one of the more fun ones that we've done i love the multi you know uh topics and 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 debating and, and all that fun stuff so this was a fun one to do spring practice is upon us it is saturday it is the first day of spring practice obviously it will culminate with the blue gold game on may 1st and we will have all kinds of stuff to bring to you between now uh, and May 1st and beyond, of course. Um, and so make sure you stay locked into irisbreakdown.com. Make sure you stay locked into our YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button and the notifications bell. And then, of course, uh, hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast because uh, it's going to be a fun six weeks or so. Um, I think, is it six weeks? Oh, about five, six weeks uh, between now and and that spring game. And uh the spring game is going to be exciting because we will have seen nothing up to that yeah. point. <laughs> Outside so we can make a whole bunch of broad conclusions from one spring game, which is terrible to do. Okay. Yes. Uh, please, is- please don't do that. Anyone ever. That's right. Yes, that's right. Deshaun uh, Kaiser will never play at Notre Dame because he had a bad spring game. You remember that? Oh my god. Oh goodness. yes, oh, I do. Yeah. And those yeah. same people were the same ones saying Phil Jerkovic's never going to play uh, because he had a much better spring game than Deshaun Kaiser had. But how yeah. about that Montana kid MVP? Yeah, man. Yeah. Absolutely. And not the Montana you're thinking of. No. All right. So again, that's going to do it. That's Brian Driscoll. He's the publisher. I'm Vince D'Addario. I am the football analyst and you have been listening to the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.